You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join us every Monday as we pull back the curtain on Mormon history, culture, and doctrine. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. Okay, Bo and KD, today we are on the Gospel Topic essay entitled Becoming Like God. So this is one of their articles that they released in 2013. Now, Bo, KD, you guys have both shared, Bo, especially you've shared with us how when you started reading some of these essays, some of them that we've covered already on this podcast, it really kind of blew up your understanding of Mormonism, which you grew up in. But but today's essay is is one that that wasn't a shocker for you. Because, help me to understand this, what we're going to read in today's essay about what Mormons believe about becoming like God is pretty much lines up with everything that you taught in seminary. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mormons believe that we can become like God and that we can ultimately uh, progress throughout eternity to, yeah, to, to be God ourselves. And so... Um, th- yeah, this was definitely something that we taught in, in seminary, definitely something that um, that we taught, uh, you know, regularly, even even growing up in the church, uh, myself and, and for KD as well. I want to make sure that we get to your perspective on this topic now. Now that you um, are really trusting the Bible to tell you who God is and who humans are and the difference between the two of them. And so I want I want you to at the end, I want to make sure that you we leave some room for you to explain this. But before we even do that, Bo, KD, why don't you explain to us, before we read this essay, explain to us how you understand humanity or how you understood humanity as a Mormon and how you understood divinity and, and the connection between those two things. Well, um, we understood that um, <clears throat> we are children of God. So um, I believe that a lot of different religions sort of believe that. Um, Christians believe that we're children of God, too, but it means a different thing within Mormonism. So within Mormonism, we believe that we are, or Mormons believe that they are literally um, children of God. So each and every person is um, a literal child of a heavenly father and therefore a heavenly mother. Um, and in that sense, you are a child of God and therefore can become like God. In this essay, it says that that we were with God in the beginning. Yeah, so in Mormon doctrine uh, and theology, uh, mankind um, as spirits were spiritually begotten by God in a pre-existence, in a pre-earth life. And during that pre-existence, um, essentially... Uh, Spirits existed as intelligences, uh, which would be some version of a life form that ultimately um, was transformed or turned into or begotten by God into spirits that then lived with God in a spirit uh, existence in in the pre-existence. So before the creation, um, Mormons believed that they existed and that they existed with... uh, as, as a big family unit. Um, and as part of that family unit was the, the oldest brother of that family unit, which was Jesus. And 
Uh, also, the devil, Satan, was also in that same family unit as a spirit child of God. So that's, that's uh, kind of the pre-earth life or the pre-existence in Mormon doctrine, um, which is one, one of the real reasons um, why you get the, the idea of eternal progression, and we'll get into it as we read this essay, but you know, Mormons believe that the purpose to life is to continue to progress, to become like God, and because God um, has a body of flesh and bone as tangible as man's in Mormon doctrine, uh, Mormons believe that they needed to come to earth, get a body, gain experience, and ultimately return to live with God where they can continue to progress to become like God. So that's that's Mormon doctrine in terms of the preexistence, the purpose to life, and then, you know, exaltation after that. Yeah, it's interesting because this the essay's titled Becoming Like God, but it starts off by talking about, it says, let me read the first paragraph. One of the most common images in Western and Eastern religions alike is of God as a parent and as hu- uh, and of human beings as God's children. Billions pray to God as their parents, invoke the brotherhood and sisterhood of all people who promote peace, and reach out to the weary and troubled out of deep conviction that each of God's children has great worth. So you can see what the what the article is trying to do. It's trying to build a bridge, and I think this is really what this whole essay is about, because because I don't think this particular topic would have been a big question mark for for Mormons. Do I have that right, Bo? That this is really more of like outreach to the non-Mormons who might be reading this to try to help explain something that a non-Mormon would have a problem with, which is eternal progression, but a Mormon really wouldn't have a problem with. Do I have that right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Mormons see this as, as something that's really beautiful, the the ability to, to progress for eternity, to become like God, ultimately populate your own worlds, is something that Mormons w- would find um, beautiful. And, and, and also... Uh, you know, what, what Mormons find solace in is that we're all here as literal sons and daughters of God. We're all God's children. We're all brothers and sisters, which is why, you know, to see Mormons um, work so hard in their communities to, to reach out to, to one another and um, to share the gospel, that, that, you know, they feel really strongly about this belief in particular. Does, does that include women? Or, or is that is that a message to men, or did that message change over the course of 150-some years? As a woman and as a mother, I think it's, um, it's an interesting thought because if my children chose Jesus and are coming to me, right, then that makes me, they may have chose me as their mom. So that kind of gives you sort of some... Like, oh, wow, I had control over this. I had control over who my kids were going to be, and they over me, and we chose each other. And um, so that's an interesting thought. But also as far as like the next step after death and becoming gods or light gods. So here on earth, men have the priesthood, right, within the Mormon religion. And so moving forward into the next life, if you make it to the celestial kingdom, you're exalted, then you can, you can create worlds. 
Um, so when I was a Mormon, um, this actually was some somewhat of a question in my mind, like how would that work? Because if families are together forever, but you know, Bo and I are creating worlds and more kids and trying to populate these worlds where are my kids that are here on this earth. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be creating worlds or if that's just Bo's job, if I'm just supposed to be having babies. I don't really know. Bo, in the men's, in the men's meetings, did you have better clarity about that, but you just didn't let the women in on it or what? No, no, this... this... This topic is, it's funny because while it's so central to Mormon doctrine and theology, it's not talked about a ton in terms of what it actually looks like after this life, mainly because there's not a ton of revelation um, or scripture around what it looks like after this life. Um, obviously, there's not in the Bible, but but even um, Joseph Smith and in the Doctrine and Covenants and his writings, there, there's not a ton on what it looks like outside of, you know, the idea of eternal progression and polygamy, obviously, in heaven and, and stuff like that. Okay, so here's how the article is laid out. I'm, I just want to kind of highlight some of the headings. People can go check out the article. We'll put it in the links below. But the first heading is, what does the Bible say about humans' divine potential? So we're starting with divine potential. And, and uh, the quote in here, it says, the Apostle Paul taught that we are offspring of God and emphasized that as such, we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So that's a passage from Romans 8 that they pull out of context to, to validate this idea that, um, that we're basically part of Christ's family. Like, I could see how they would really like this verse and pull this one out to say, see, look, we were in the preexistence with Christ. We're going to be in, the, in eternity with Christ as a joint heir. So it's kind of like, Bo, tell me if I'm, if I'm explaining this right. Like, how would you explain this to your students? It's kind of like, Christ is brought down to our level, or maybe we're brought up to his level, whatever, but there's there's not really a gap between us and Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it would be that because he is our mediator with the Father, because he died for us, we, we are now made clean and can be can be perfect, and then we can become heirs of God. And, and a Mormon would read that quite literally, that we just as a, a prince is an heir to a kingdom or a throne, we would be heirs of... God's kingdom and, and a godly throne. So when you look at what Paul was getting at, I mean, he was speaking to a group of believers that had put their faith and trust in Christ who um, have just been adopted into the family of God, mm -hmm. who, who have just become a new creation in Christ, and um, who are now heirs of God's kingdom. Uh, so that, that's what Paul's writing about here. But, but yeah, um, I... When I would teach this, unfortunately, yeah, I would take this out of context and try to infer what an heir of God actually meant here, right? Was that we were going to literally be heirs of God's throne. Here, here's the problem, and I, I want to encourage everyone who's listening to this to understand this point, whether you're evangelical Christian, whether you're LDS, or, or just neither. The way that you, the proper way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture, you know, you can make, you can really invent just about any doctrine you want if you isolate a passage here, a passage there. The, the appropriate way when, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast that we believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God. And so what that means is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And it's, it's a, even a little bit ironic that they're quoting Romans. And yet, if you read the book of Romans, it is so clear 
It is so clear that God is different than humans. You know, the essence of this whole article and this whole doctrine is that that God and humanity are basically the same species. We're going to get into that. I mean, if you don't, if you think I'm overstating that, just hang on, because I'm going to read some of Joseph Smith's very words and some of the other prophets in the church. It's right here in the article. So it's so important to for anyone when you're reading stuff like this, that you know, the simple-minded could be like, "Oh yeah, well that makes sense. It's right there. Okay," and then just go on. But you have to interpret scripture with scripture, which means you need to really understand what scripture is saying overall. And so we don't, we're not going to take time in this episode to like debunk each one of these verses. I just want to encourage people. That's the principle that you need to use, the exegetical principle when you're studying scriptures. Let scripture interpret scripture. Don't just pluck stuff out of context. There's plenty of passages where, I mean, even in Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible, there are plenty of scriptures taken completely out of context and then forgotten about. And and, and so um, it gets kind of confusing, even for Mormons as they read through um, scripture, which obviously for a Mormon, they would broaden that to let scripture um, define or uh, to understand scripture with scripture, they would open up their canon to the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. toward the modern day prophets, to Doctrine and Covenants, which then it, it gets pretty muddy. So, again, which is why the church ha- <clears throat> had to release these essays, uh, because because of all the, the mud in the water, it got really confusing what Mormons do, don't believe in, and just the history of Mormonism is is, is pretty foggy, shady, and, and has been covered up. Okay, so help me with that, because I don't know the other script, the other Mormon scriptures. So you're, I thought, I was surprised to hear you say it gets pretty muddy. I thought you were going to say, then it really clears it up, because this doctrine comes from, you know, the Book of Mormon, or the Pearl of Great Price, or Doctrine and Covenants, and it's just like clearly taught in those other scriptures. So are you saying that it's even a little bit, this doctrine's a little bit muddy, even in those other scriptures? Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to see this in the Book of Mormon. Um, you, so Joseph's theology, and, and we'll get into this probably next week or, or the week after when we t- when we uh, read some of these additional essays that the church released, but the, the theology of Mormonism ch- changed quite drastically over the course of two decades. And so um, so a lot of the becoming like God came in that in that second decade. And where, where the Book of Mormon obviously was written in the first decade of Mormonism, you're not going to see becoming like God. In fact, the Book of Mormon teaches a pretty Trinitarian um, God versus a three separate type of a God. So, so it's interesting to see even just uh, as you compare the Book of Mormon to the Bible versus like the Doctrine and Covenants and some of Joseph's writings, um, some, of the, some of the pretty drastic... Um, differences there. Okay, so the next section in the essay is titled, How Have Ideas About Divinity Shifted Over Christian History? And I'm not going to get into great detail on this, but I think it's interesting that they quote the church father, Father Irenaeus, that he died about AD 202. They quote Clement of Alexandria, who lived around the same time. And they quote Basil the Great, who lived even after those guys. But I find it interesting that they're quoting these guys to try to validate their belief or their doctrine about eternal progression 
when, if I remember correctly, Bo and Katie, the the church was apostate by by this time. Yeah, according yeah, that's, that's a great point, Brian. According to yeah, Mormon belief, the uh, doctrine, there was a great apostasy that happened when the the priesthood was taken from the earth when the apostles were dead or killed, and so so yeah, by especially by 200 AD um, or even 150 AD, they, they, there were no apostles left on the earth. There had already been a great apostasy. So it's interesting that they would quote, um, yeah, some of these early Christians who, based on, to your point, Brian Mormon's belief system would, would already have been apostate at this point. Yeah, so let me read what they say in this part of the article. They say, why did these beliefs fade from prominence? So th- what they're trying to say is that that the early church had these beliefs, some of these beliefs, the becoming like God beliefs, but they faded from prominence, and they say, why? And here's their answer. Changing perspectives on the creation of the world may have contributed to the gradual shift toward more limited views of human potential. It's so, again, it's so, if I'm reading this as a Mormon, I'm like, wait a second, do we do we care what these apostates believe about this? <laughs> it doesn't even matter. And as I'm reading this as, as a Christian, I'm saying, I don't care what these fathers said. I care what the Bible says. I care what scripture says, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. And that's what we're looking to for doctrine. We're not looking to obscure statements from church fathers. We're looking to script to the Bible, to the, to the authoritative word of God, which we recognize, we've covered this already before, but w- which we recognize is reliable so we don't have to like dig around to try to validate a like a a doctrine like this i guess is my point yeah no that's a good point and look i would just say that what early christians believed is in the bible it's in the new testament so so we don't have to go searching for random quotes from people that lived 100 200 300 400 years after christ to say look look look, look that's that's they believed that we could become gods it's like no let's let's read what paul taught let's Let's read what um, what Jesus Himself taught. Let's read what Peter taught. That that's that's what's in the Bible. And so, so you're right, Brian. I mean, obviously, we're we're grateful for God revealing Himself in His Word, and um, and, and that we can rely on it. But but again, yeah, the the Mormon teaching here is that um, over time, doctrine was distorted and changed because there was no priesthood on the earth or authority on the earth, and so because of that, teachings like you know uh, human beings progressing to become God. Um, changed over time. But then they obviously have this caveat right right after they share these quotes to say, look, a lot of this could be interpreted um, differently than we're interpreting it. They're just simply trying to make a, a point that like doctrine has changed in Christianity over time mm-hmm. um, and has shifted away from the idea of becoming like God. and um, Which, yeah, I mean, reading through this... Uh, they're they're basically saying that the whole idea of ex nihilo creation um, sort of gave way to the idea that there was no pre-existence, um, gave way to the idea that God is greater than we could ever become, which he is. Um, but but yeah, that that's that's kind of the the whole point of this section of the essay. Here's here's a quote I want to read from this article. Joseph Smith asked, what kind of being is God? 
Human beings need to know, he argued, because if men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend themselves. Again, I'm reading from the article. In that phrase, this is, I think this is the King Follett discourse. Yeah. In that phrase, the prophet collapsed the gulf that centuries of confusion had created between God and humanity. KD, I want you to speak to that in just a minute, but because I think when you first really started reading scripture, the Bible, you realized the, the gulf, the, one of the big problems you had was that the gulf between God and humanity had been collapsed. Because the Christian view is there is a huge gulf between God and humanity. God is God. Humans are humans created. They weren't with God in the beginning. Humans, humans are creatures and God is the creator. So there is a, a huge gulf. But it shocked me to read so cl- clear as day in this essay that these Mormon writers, and it's approved by the LDS church, they're saying that the gulf that centuries of confusion had created between God and humanity had been collapsed by Joseph Smith's words in the King Follett discourse. And human nature, it, it says, was at its core divine. God was once as one of us, is what Joseph said in this discourse. And another, another quote straight from that is he said, you have got to learn how to be a God yourself. I'm going to just pause here for a second. And for you, for you guys, what would, like, is this common understanding for Mormons, the King Follett discourse and what Joseph Smith had to say about it? Uh, this was definitely my understanding um, when I was a Mormon, that I was the same species as God and even as the angels. That was my understanding. As a Mormon, the weight that that carries to have to learn how to be a God yourself um, is for some Mormons, like myself, crushing. So that that type of weight to carry can be crushing to try to live up to be like your big brother Jesus, to, to live up to be a God someday, to... Um, be that good in this life can be such a crushing weight. It can be a weight that you are just dragging around. Um, that was my experience as a Mormon. And once I realized that that is not at all, um, who God is, that is not at all who Jesus is. Um, I felt free to be a human. I felt free to allow God to be sovereign, to be ultimate and to be big. And that freed him to be God and me to be human. I think it also pointed out to you that, that you were broken as a human, um, which is critical in, in understanding the condescension of God and what he really came to do. Absolutely. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think I, I find issue, um, actually with, if I can go back a little bit in this gospel topics essay, when they are talking about the changing of beliefs, it says like changing perspectives on the creation of the world may have contributed to the gradual shift towards a more limited views of human potential. And I, I have a hard time with that because that seems to me in this essay, what is coming out is that uh, they're kind of, um, shortening the distance between humans and God. And, and they're saying that humans, you know, what they're really saying is humans are like God and they're bringing God down to our human level. 
and I just find issue with that. And it can be so misleading because if, if we are going to become gods and God was once like us, then that means that there had to be an even bigger God behind God. And there had to be an even bigger one behind that one. And somewhere there's a bigger God and a bigger God and bigger God. There's progression and levels. And that just becomes problematic in so many ways. Yeah. And it's, you know, even what you just read there, it's so interesting how man-centric, human-centric Mormonism is. Because what they're trying to appeal to in this essay, and this is, I think, what Mormonism is trying to appeal to. It's trying to appeal to the sense that you should not be limited. But the sad thing is what they're limiting in this is God. Like you said, KD, they're bringing God down to the human potential. So it's not, you know, I have two problems with this essay and this doctrine in general is number one, that they get humanity wrong. But maybe even more than that is that they get God wrong. And that has got, that has got to be so offensive to the creator of the universe to be called essentially our big brother, just our, like our pre-existence father. I can't even imagine how the God of the universe feels about this essay. Yeah, and I think it kind of um, makes sense when you think about Mormonism like this, because um, if God was once as we are, and we are, we must learn to be as he is now, then there must be lessons. There must be steps that we follow. There must be works that we have to do in order to learn to become as he is now because he was once where we were. So there is a progression and there are, must be things we have to do. Yeah. And then you just get caught in the, the, the hamster wheel of living a Mormon life where you're just constantly feeling guilty because you're not perfect. And, um, rather than, um, (laughs) rather than relying on Jesus and trusting in God, you, you rely on yourself to work your way better and uh, you never get better. So Bo, tell me how you, how this, how this struck you, how this doctrine struck you or how it appealed to you. Cause you were one of the hamster wheel Mormons. You were like at the top of your class, you were a seminary teacher, return missionary. You were, I mean, you were doing it, you were doing it all. You were checking all the boxes. So did, did this, statement from Joseph Smith from the King Faults discourse you have got to learn how to be a god yourself like that was that inspiring to you did you have the t-shirt <laughs> look at the time yeah for sure i i think um i wanted to do everything right i wanted to check every box um and i did check every box right uh, now obviously you know a mormon listening would say well you clearly didn't cuz your heart isn't changed and mm-hmm. but Um, but I think, look, like when, uh, when you are going through all of it, you're, you're doing all the steps, right? You go through the temple. Um, when I compare that to, uh, like biblical Christianity and really uncovering what, um, what God has revealed in his word, it's, it's light years apart and, um, who I am changes and who God is changes and what God really did for us changes. And, um, so 
yeah, when you ask the question of like, you know, what, what was I, what was I like? And did I buy into this? I, I absolutely did. And obviously I don't anymore because, um, I now have a better understanding of who God is and, and the creator of the universe is, is so much bigger than a man who progressed to create worlds and spirit children. I want to cover one more section in this essay, and it's titled, What Has Been Taught in the Church About Divine Nature Since Joseph Smith? So it says in this article that uh, the King Fault Discourse was the last time the prophet spoke in a general conference. Three months later, a mob stormed Carthage jail and martyred him and his brother Hiram. And so that was it. I mean, that was the last official thing that he said. That's interesting to me. Um, because I, I feel like it was changing so drastically, his teachings. Who knows what, what would have come out next after that. But anyway, it says in this article, since that sermon known as a King Follett Discourse, the doctrine that humans can progress to exaltation and godliness has been taught within the church. Lorenzo Snow, the, church, the church's fifth president, coined a well-known couplet. It's called, I think it's called the Snow Couplet. As man now is... God once was, as God now is, man may be. Now, I'm going to read that again because our Christian listeners are going to probably be blown away by this. And I want, I want to hear it from you, Bo, KD. Like, is it, did, would you have under, did you know this couplet? Was this, was this as well known to you as it is to, to non-Mormons who, under, who are learning about Mormonism? So here's a couplet. As man now is, God once was. In other words... God used to be a man, is what I, what I read. That's what that sounds like that is saying. And as God now is, man may be. So we can become gods. God was once a man, we can become gods. So Bo KD, like, was this well-known? Is this well-known in Mormon circles? Uh, how, how important is this couplet? Yeah, I, this is a very well-known quote. You'll hear it in Elder's Quorum multiple times a year. I'm sure you'll hear it in Relief Society a bunch. Um, definitely something that is regularly referred to and taught uh, as something that Mormons celebrate. Um, and, and if look, if you take a step back, uh, putting on the lens of a Mormon for a second, it's, it's a beautiful thought that you had a father before this life and you, and you existed as a spirit. You, you came to earth to take baby steps on your way to becoming like your father. And then after this life, you, you get to, to actually become like your father and, and, and do the same things that he's doing with the same power. So from a Mormon's perspective, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and and when, you, when you look at it from the lens of what Mormons believe about God and, and who he is um, and who she is as Heavenly Mother, because again... They believe in a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. Um, you know, it, it makes a ton of sense. Now, now, when you look at it from a biblical perspective and what the Bible teaches, it is obviously it's completely different. Like I said, light years apart. And um, and even, I mean, even a Joseph Smith translation of the Bible is not going to, it's not going to come close to, to this sort of a teaching here. It says in the article that little has been revealed about the first half of the couplet. And consequently, little is taught. So is that true, Bo? Like in seminary, did you ever say anything about what God was like before he was God? No, no. We would just read this quote, and you can infer what you want to infer mm. as, the, as the listener of the quote, the reader of the quote. 
Um, but as God now is, man may be, is definitely a focal point in, in Mormonism, for sure. Are, are you know, pe- uh, human beings' divine potential. In fact, as we go down further in this essay, um, How Latter-day Saints Envision Exaltation, it's all about the second half of, of that quote. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, it says, Latter-day Saints tend to imagine exaltation through the lens of... Um, you know, the sacred in, in mortal experience, they see the, the seeds of godhood in the joy of bearing and nurturing children, the love they feel for those children, and the impulse to reach out in compassionate service to others, right? So so Latter-day Saints definitely hang on to the second half of that quote as core to everything they do. It's, it's, it's even, I mean, it's core to what they do in the temple. It even says how important are teachings about exaltation, Latter-day Saint beliefs, Overall, and it'll even speak about the role of temples here. Um, I'll read this too. It says, An awareness of humans' divine potential also influences Latter-day Saints' understanding of gospel principles, such as the importance of divine commandments, the role of temples, and the sanctity of individual moral agency. Um, Belief that human beings are actually God's children also changes Latter-day Saints' behavior and attitude. So so it goes on to, to infer like, Look, what Mormons do in temples, what they believe about um, our agency and what they believe about, you know, the divine commands we've been given is all about our belief that, you know, Mormons believe that they can become gods. And that's the hamster wheel, KD, that you were talking about, right? That's what you guys were caught up in for 30 plus years of your life is really trying to cross all your T's, dot all your I's, check all the boxes so that so that you could you could be exalted. Is that right? Is, is that an overstatement? Or was that, you know, Bo, you said at the beginning that this is, this is, this isn't just about humanity and, and God, this article, it's, it's really about like the, the goal of Mormonism and the goal of Mormonism is exaltation. Absolutely. That is absolutely correct. Um, and this is sort of what I believe this and eternal marriage, um, kind of keeps, well, it kept me on the hamster wheel. Um, but I just, uh, I think it's really interesting reading this, this awareness of, a, of humans' divine potential influences Latter-day Saints' understanding of gospel principles, meaning it changes, like, the belief that humans are divine changes their <clears throat> behavior. Um, but I just think it's really interesting the the um, emphasis on the human's divine potential is really kind of standing out to me a lot in this topic because it really does, in my opinion, it doesn't really give God his reign in our lives. Like it doesn't allow God to be sovereign. And when we kind of think about us like, well, I have divine potential. I have seeds of godhood inside of me. I, you know, I have um, this potential to become a god. Um, I think it, it puts so much emphasis on me and who I'm going to be someday and what I can do um, that it, I think it just really kind of leaves out that 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 he, the god 
of the Bible, and it it really kind of cuts out how much God really loves us. Really, like how if if we if we are living in our sin and we needed a savior to save us from our sin, if God is the one who came down as Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, that is a huge step for such a huge being to take for such small people. And it shows so much love. And I just feel like this focus on a human godliness just just misses it, misses the mark. Tell me, let's finish with this question. I, I think this would be really insightful for Mormons listening. How, how does this doctrine, because you've experienced both Mormonism and now for about, you know, five, six months, you've experienced really biblical Christianity. How has this doctrine, how does it shape worship? Because, you know, you experience worship in a sacrament meeting on a Sunday morning in the Mormon ward, and you've also experienced worship in a church like ours over the last several months. Maybe we can finish with that just kind of on a practical note. I would say that it is, there's just a major difference in in the who of who you're worshiping. Uh, when, when you're worshiping God, when we, I, I, I'll put it this way at a, you know, evangelical Christian church, non-denominational Christian church, you, you truly, I have truly felt like I'm worshiping the God of the universe and all praise to God. Um, and, and that attitude is different um yeah in, in a mormon sacrament meeting where your i would say your worship is turned to um more of the reminders of things you need to do versus uh who you're truly worshiping and why why god is so good and deserves our praise and all glory so that that's for me. What about you, Katie? Um, yeah, I think that there is a big difference. I loved. I heard recently somebody say, like they went to, a, you know, evangelical Christian church and they felt like it was a concert for Jesus, <laughs> the, the music. And I'm like, it really is. It feels like you are just singing praises to Jesus, and that is that is different um, than a Mormon church experience. Um, I think in a Mormon like ward and on a Sunday, you'll hear a lot of really good advice. You'll hear really good advice about like how to live your life and be, you know, like a good person. Those are great things. Um, and it's really important to live God's laws that we find in the Bible. But I think sometimes I just wish that I would have realized before, like, where that comes from, like, where the desire to live in that way really should come from. Um, and now I do understand that, and that it's that love of Jesus, right? That love that God has shown to little old me, and that is why I want to live a good life that honors him. Does that mean I'm going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean I'm going to become a God someday? 
Absolutely not. But that does mean that I can be with God and that I can be fulfilled in his love. Yeah, and you bring up a good point, and I think this is probably a huge difference in Mormonism, right, is, you know, you go to church to learn how to become a good person. Um, I think that's a great way to put it, right? A lot of practical advice on how to be a good person. Um, but we, you, you just forget in Mormonism that you're not a good person. You're not. Um, that's the whole reason you're there. You're not a good person. You need, you need a mediator. You need Jesus. Uh, and without him, you're going to die in your sins. And, and that, that is why worship is so different in, in a Christian denomination because, because you truly are rooted in um, the glory that God deserves for, for saving us in our sin. So, again, that, I think that, that probably is a good way to summarize this whole essay here, right, is um, the belief in becoming a good person to become a God or, you know, the belief in a all-powerful creator, the universe that, um, that's our creator that, uh, that condescended and died for our sins when, when we didn't deserve it. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.